So if you have a Bible, let's open up to, to Isaiah. Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah this morning. If you have no idea where Isaiah is, that's fine. Feel free to use the table of contents or just kind of go to the middle of your Bible. You'll hit Psalms and then just start heading to the right and you, it's kind of hard to miss Isaiah. And so uh, open up to Isaiah chapter 10 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. This, or uh, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Just do whatever the bulletin says. <laughs> so Isaiah chapter 11, you can tell I'm a little flustered, but that's okay. The Lord's at work. So Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And while you're opening up there, you may have taken part in a few days ago or in the midst of this season. We're kind of in the flurry where lots of things are being ordered online. Maybe you've ordered something or you've, you know, maybe special ordered something at a store. Or you might be, if you're not capable, if you're not old enough of ordering stuff on your own, you also know that there's a big day coming, Christmas Day. You know, the day upon which the entire kid calendar revolves, and you're moving towards that day. You know, you, you've ordered something that you may be really excited about receiving. We're not talking about the normal kind of stuff. This is something that you may have saved up for, a special gift that you might have coming, something that you're, you're really excited about receiving. You know, it might be that new laptop. It might be a cool piece of furniture, a really cool toy. It might be car parts, if you're like me. You know, something that you're, you're just excited about, about getting. And do you remember finally getting that email that comes in and it gives you the tracking number? You know, it says, your order has now shipped. Do you remember if you get that email? What did you do? You probably clicked on it a lot. You probably clicked on it multiple times throughout the day. When am I going to get this update? You know, we're not talking about like a, a pack of Ziploc bags or some batteries coming in. I mean, something that you're really excited about. I mean, you may be excited about Ziploc bags. If, if so, great. Uh, but, you know, you, you probably got on there and you clicked it immediately after the email came in. You probably clicked on it multiple times throughout the following hours and days as you're watching it come through. And day after day, you watch that package make its way across the country and you started getting excited when it finally came through either East Point, Georgia or Birmingham or Chattanooga because you knew it's getting close. It's coming in. And if you've ever done that, or if you kind of know, if you're here and you're kind of counting down to the Christmas day, you know, different people maybe do like little chains where you break off a, a different paper cuff, or you may, you know, have like one of those chocolate calendars that you eat a, a new piece of chocolate. And as the days get closer and closer to Christmas morning, you know, we all have that kind of feeling in our heart. That feeling that we have as we're waiting for this thing to come is that feeling of longing, an earnest desire. We've all kind of felt that before in our own hearts. And C.S. Lewis wrote this little address called The Weight of Glory. It was later turned into a book that you can buy. And he talked about how this longing in our hearts points to something much deeper. Here's what he said. Apparently then our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside. It is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all merits, and also the healing of that old ache. I love how he describes that, that old ache. We feel like sometimes we're on the outside kind of looking in. 
And we have a desire to be kind of on the inside and to finally have that old ache kind of addressed in our hearts. And whether you believe it or not, this morning you actually were created in the image of God. That's what gives you unique dignity and value and worth. And as you were created in the image of God, a fancy kind of Latin phrase for that is the imago dei. And whether, whether you believe that or not, that imago dei is throughout the day always trying to find its way back home. We said that I've talked to a person who has done a particular version of kind of just sharing the faith with others. And he basically says, if you just ask a bunch of questions, eventually that image of God is always trying to erupt from underneath the surface. Here's what Augustine said, a famous quote of his, loosely translated, goes a little something like this. Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We just feel like there's a piece of us that's missing, and you've made us, Lord, for you, and the, you're the missing piece of the puzzle, and our hearts are restless until we find that rest in you. And I think if you think about what's the current season that we're in, we kind of instinctively place a really heavy emphasis on this time of year, don't we? We feel kind of deep down that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, and we're looking to find a bit of that Christmas magic, aren't we? To, to kind of try to renew our hope in humanity. We all long for something better. You think about this time of year, it's a time when generosity just kind of spikes. Why? Because it's Christmas. You know, you'll have these calls that you'll hear on these movies that we all love to watch about, you know, just being kind and, and being gracious. Why? Because it's Christmas. It's why Hallmark makes a killing, basically repackaging the same plot in every single Christmas movie that they make. But we don't care, do we? No. Why? Because it's Christmas. It's why we love the lights, the movies, the songs, the food, all the things that go along with this season, because it kind of helps us peek behind the curtain and reconnect with that deep heart longing that we have for everything to be set right. And maybe Christmas just gives us a little peek behind the curtain of what that might look like. But what if that elusive Christmas magic that we're all longing for is actually a certain hope in a certain future? What would it be? What, how would our lives change? Or what would that look like for us to long for that in our daily lives? A certain hope in a certain future. What could possibly be so bright? What could possibly be so beautiful that it could cut through the gloom and the fog and be like a lighthouse for our hearts? What could possibly be that big and bright and beautiful that it maybe would recapture our hearts and point us to something beyond ourselves? Let's find out. Isaiah chapter 11, let's look at the verse 10 verses here. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. 
And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are as well. Let's pray and ask the Lord to as we look to his word. Please pray with me. Father, in the stillness of this moment, we come to you. We ask for your help. Lord, it's been a crazy morning. A lot of stuff breaking and not working right. But yet, Lord, we are grateful for your word that it never changes. It never fails. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that as we come to your word, that you would re-describe reality to us, that you would remind us of your mercy, remind us of your grace. Lord, remove distractions from our hearts. Help us to see how good and bright and beautiful our future is with you because you're on the throne. So, Father, we ask and pray all these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen. I've told this story before. In a few weeks, my family and I are going to go to Western North Carolina, which is a place that we really love. You may have been to that part of the part of the country before, kind of in that Asheville, Hendersonville, kind of North Hardy area. It's always been a very special place for us, and we've got, we're going to be going and serving our denominations camp. And one thing that we love to do anytime we're in that kind of area of the country is we like to go hiking. We just like to be outside. It's one of the reasons why we love living here and being here is being able to go hiking. I've told this story before. I've told, I've told you about this place before. It's a place called Graveyard Fields. I don't know if anybody's ever been there before over in Western North Carolina. It's kind of near Asheville. It's a beautiful hike. It's really unique. It's, it's kind of a high elevation hike. It's got a flat valley. It's got waterfalls. It's got a stream. It's definitely one, if you're ever in that area, that you want to put on your list to go and see one day. It's just very, very, it's just very unique. But one of the things that makes it unique is the history behind it. And let me tell you the story behind that. The etymology behind Graveyard Fields is somewhat smoky. Centuries ago, massive windstorms uprooted a once prominent spruce forest in this 5,000 foot high hanging valley. Root balls from the uprooted trees slowly decayed and over time left behind mounds of dirt, similar to those found in ancient burial grounds. In more recent history, 1925 to be exact, a raging fire swept through Graveyard Fields. The fire destroyed everything in its path, including necessary nutrients in the soil. And the high valley was left as a smoldering swath of land with headstones. The charred, stumpy remains of the spruce forest strewn about the landscape. Really interesting kind of description there. So you can imagine you're up on this high valley, and you can imagine there, there's like these little piles of dirt. They're about this high, where a tree has fallen over a long time ago. And as the wood rotted away, they left behind this mound of dirt that's there. And over the years, it's been covered up with vines and brambles and those kind of things. So as you look out, it looks like just a bunch of like overgrown headstones, which is why it's called graveyard fields. 
And we think about what's going on in this book of Isaiah at the moment. What we get is a picture of destruction and judgment in chapter 10. Chapter 10 talks about how God will allow Assyria to come in like an axe and chop down Israel because they've forsaken God and they've become arrogant and prideful. And we see in verses 10, 33, and 34, ultimately though, the Lord, and we're given the name, His name Adonai, which is, which is strength and king and sovereign, will chop down Assyria for their arrogance and pride. Is this working? Okay, great. We'll switch to that. So at the end of chapter 10, you get a vision that looks a lot like graveyard fields. It looks like a bunch of stumps, basically. And that's where we find ourselves this morning as we continue in this Advent season. Even though the promise made way back in Genesis 3.15 looks like it's been cut down and left for dead, God reminds us that his promise of a future redeemer is still alive. If you've ever cut down a tree in your own yard before, you do know, every one of us knows, that you may get that tree cut down but there is a lot of life left in that stump. It is constantly trying to send out these new like little shoots and you'll see that it's still trying to draw water up from the soil around it. There's still a lot of life left in that stump. And so the overall question for Advent that we've been asking is how do we find hope in the midst of our waiting? And for the past two weeks, we've looked at two big main words. We looked at the first word, peace, Last week, we looked at this idea of pardon. This morning, the big word that I want you to have in your head as we look at this text is the word promise. Promise. The big question for this morning is, though, how do we find hope in this promise shoot of Jesse? Why should we care about this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11? We're going to see two things. Number one, we're going to find hope in his character. Hope in his character. The second thing that we're going to see is we find hope in his kingdom. So why should we care? How do we find hope in this promised shoot of Jesse? What, what is, what, how is he described? We're going to find hope in his character and hope in his kingdom. So let's look at that first point. We find hope in his character. This is basically verses 1 through 5 in your text. And remember, we talked about this before, how prophetic books work sometimes. It's like the mountain range illustration. You know, what you get is Isaiah looks out and he sees this vision, and what he is describing is the mountain peaks that he sees. And there may be a lot of space between those mountain peaks. So it might be a lot of time that goes between the mountain peaks. But what we're getting is we're getting a picture of kind of the high points of this vision. As the Lord is at work, Isaiah looks out and he says, I see that, and I see that coming after that, and then I see that coming after that. And instead of it being... Boom, 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 one thing after another. There may be long stretches of time in between them. And so we rightly point to this prophecy of the coming of Christ, but we often forget that the prophet Isaiah originally received this vision 700 years before Christ was born. Talk about a lot of waiting. We get this vision of the, the coming one, that this promised redeemer who's going to come and set things right, and then 700 years passed. And as we consider where we are in redemptive history at the moment, we remember that we are in a time of waiting. And it may feel like a valley right now. It may feel like it might not feel like a mountain peak right now. It may feel like a valley. But another peak is always on the horizon, is it not? We live in light of the promised return of Christ, his second advent. That great and glorious mountain peak that's off in the distance and says it is going to happen. 
Life may feel like a valley right now, but that ultimate peak is always out there, and we find hope in it, hope in Christ's return. And so out of the gloomy fog of graveyard fields in chapter 10, we see the promise of life. Look at verse 1. A small shoot, the King James Version, if you have that, says this rod or a shoot will grow up from the stump of David's line. The covenant promise that God made with David appeared dead, but as we know, like any stump, it's far from dead. A greater David is on his way. This greater David was be empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we're looking at uh, David and his greater son, but his greater son is going to be super empowered with the Spirit. Did you notice in verse 2 that the Spirit is mentioned four times in a row for emphasis? It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There's kind of this like overabundance of the Spirit's work. This person's going to be different. The Spirit of the Lord, Yahweh, will rest upon him, will give him wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and a fear of the Lord. And again, that word fear is not like cowering. It's a, it's a word that means reverence or awe. When you stand in front of the Lord and you just are in awe and, and this, this holy reverence, honor, worship. Look at verse 3. This reverence of Yahweh will be this promised Redeemer's delight and all that he does, he will be looking to worship. And his delight shall be in the favor of the Lord and of Yahweh. And unlike us, he will not judge solely based on outward appearances. He will judge on the heart. He will judge with righteousness and equity on behalf of those who have faced oppression, crippling poverty, and those who have been laid low by wickedness. His eye will be on those who cry out for divine justice. He will hear them, and he will also act. Look at verse 4. The rod of Jesse will defend his people with the rod of his word. This tiny shoot will grow up to be a mighty warrior who will slay the wicked, that he will one day return in glory. And all of his enemies and our enemies will be cut down and laid low by the word of his power. Look at verse 5. Do you notice there's some description about how this one is going to be dressed. He's going to be dressed and fully equipped for the occasion. You see it says righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here's what Edward Young said about this verse that I thought was really helpful. He said, in ancient times the belt was worn by one who was ready to engage in a bout of wrestling with an opponent. And the object of the bout was to rest, which is W-R-E-S-T, was to, another way of saying to take, you're trying to take from, Take the belt from the opponent. And so as you're wrestling, you're trying to steal that belt from your opponent. But did you notice what the belt, how the belt of this coming redeemer is described? It's made out of two things that can never be taken from him because they, comp they comprise his very nature. It says righteousness and faithfulness will be like this belt. And that belt will never be taken, ever, because it defines who he is, that he is righteous and he is faithful. And you're like, okay, why should I care? Why should I care about all this? That's a good question. I, I appreciate that. How does this give us hope? Because the Lord promises to help and equip us in our own struggles. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And so with God's help, why do we find hope in this? Because with God's help, we're called to wrestle and to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil with the Spirit's help. And aren't you thankful this morning, if you trust in Christ, that the ultimate struggle against these things has already been decided on the cross? Aren't you thankful for that? Thankful for Christ, thankful for the cross. You think about this, you look at this description of the coming Savior, we're talking, remember the Old Testament says somebody's coming, somebody's coming. So we're talking about Jesus. And you see how he's described here, like this little shoot that's going to grow up from the stump of Jesse. It seems so insignificant, does it? You also think, how did Jesus come into the world? Did he come in like, like riding a tank with missiles going on a, a great white steed of victory? No. How did Christ come in? As Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible tells us, as, as softly and as quietly as the snow falling, Christ entered into the world. As a little baby, born to a poor family in a throwaway town. That is how our Savior entered into the world. And the watching world looks at our faith right now and says, Really? Is that what you put your whole faith and trust in? This baby? That's the best you got? This baby who's going to grow up and be killed, that's what you're looking for. We say, yeah, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Our hope rests in a little baby born to a poor family in a throwaway town who would grow up and go to the cross and die the death that we all deserved so that we could have grace and mercy, so that we would have something to celebrate during Christmas. We don't celebrate the packages. We don't bow down and worship the tree, do we? No, we look to Christ. We say, thank you, Lord, that you came into the world. And the question we ask is, why? Why, oh, Lord? Why would you ever come? Remember we talked last week. We see the sign that says the reason, you know, remember the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. We said the real reason for the season is our sin. Jesus came into the world to rescue us and redeem us from our sin. And he volunteered for it. And he came in as a helpless baby. And aren't you glad that this powerful, eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us? And what seemed so insignificant at the time, this shoot would grow up to free his people from the power of sin and Satan's tyranny. That was his whole point of him coming into the world. John 1, 4, and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that gives us hope. Look at verse 10. The shoot of Jesse has now become the root. And what that implies is a firmly planted tree. And remember, at the end of chapter 10, it looked a lot like graveyard fields, right? A lot of cut-down stumps. And Isaiah looks forward and tells us that he sees a strong tree growing up from the hewn forest of judgment that there is life that's going to spring up, and that gives us hope. 
that this grown-up shoot of Jesse was nailed to a dead tree outside of the city of David and has now become the mighty oak that ascended into heaven and is promised to return again in glory to judge the wicked and rescue the saints, and we cling tightly to him as we wait for his return. Say, aren't you glad that the stump of Jesse, he grew up and he was nailed to a dead tree for you and for me? 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Do you know this Savior? Do you know my Savior? Do you know Jesus? Do you trust this one who came into the world and died the death that we could never do on our own, lived the righteous life that we never could, died the death that we deserve, that so that we could find grace and mercy. Do you know Christ? Do you know him as your savior? Not just a cute little baby, but as the king and as the savior. Do you know him this morning? Is that ringing in your heart? I saw a movie where it was like they asked a little kid, how do you know that Christmas is, they're talking about Santa and Christmas, like how do you know that Santa and Christmas is real? And the kid just said, I just kind of know in my heart. As we think about Jesus, as we think about heaven, as we think about the hope of glory, as we think about all that this scripture points to, is your heart saying, yes, that's true. I believe it. I know it. I just know it's true. I've never seen Jesus with my own eyes, but I just know he's there. And I know that he loves me. Do you know Jesus? As Jesus then walked out of the tomb, and now he stands as a signal. Did you see how he's described? He stands as a signal. The Hebrew there is a flag or a banner of hope for his redeemed people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And we gather under his banner. Why? Because he rallied to us first. We rally to that banner. You know, you think on a battlefield, there's the flag that's waving, and all the soldiers who are there can rally to that flag. It's a meeting point. It says that this Jesus is our rally point. Why is he our rally point? Because he rallied to us first. And he's gathering us up. And his banner over us is love and grace and mercy. And his banner that hangs over us, we say it almost every week, it is finished. It is finished. And we dwell under that banner. His kingdom is worth the struggle in this life because that kingdom is glorious. We're given this Hebrew word, kabod. It's weighty. It's substantial. It's what Moses asked for. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your kabod. Show me how weighty you are, how substantial you are. We look to that kingdom because it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken because it has the greatest kabod. Weight. It's anchored. It's never going to shake. And we find hope in our Savior. We find hope in his character. And we find hope in that kingdom. It's our second point, way shorter than the first. Hang with me. We find hope in his kingdom, this weighty kingdom, verses 6 through 9. Do you notice the, the, the big theme of the description of life under the rod of Jesse? There's this, this idea of just peace and shalom. You've got all these kids like playing around the hole of a, a cobra and the adder's den. You know, I don't know if any of you like to go and hang out around the hole of a cobra and send your little kids, hey, go outside and play. Make sure you don't miss the cobra hole. You know, that's scary, right? What we're seeing is a removal of that, a removal of fear, a removal of anxiety, a kind of a restoration of creation. 
There's a scholarly debate over where the, whether the animals mentioned are actually predatory animals or predatory nations. Regardless of that, though, the big idea is a kingdom of shalom, of safety and stability, a kingdom that will last forever. Here's what Ray Ortland said, Ray Ortland Jr. He said, even now the fullness of his kingdom is only an inch away. All that stands between the present moment and the promised future is the command of God. He is not waiting for favorable conditions in human social evolution. All he has to do is give the order, and Christ will come and judge and save and rule because he himself is our peace. He says just an inch away. It's like it's right there. You can just grab it. Now, when you hear that description of the kingdom mentioned, coupled with that quote from Ortland, don't you feel your heart longing for this future reality with Christ? Like, I can't wait. It sounds great. It's that same longing that Lewis mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, that old ache that we have in our hearts. And Christmas is a time when our hearts are instinctively tender because we all recognize, secular and religious alike, that there's just something different about this time of year. And we feel that ache in our hearts and we try to fill it in a variety of ways, don't we? We just feel like there's got to be more. Interestingly enough, the Bible acknowledges this very sense of longing that God's people feel. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 5, For in this tent we groan. You ever felt like that? Ugh. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may, be, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be, be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Another picture from Romans 8, to 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we await, eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You ever thought about the fact that every single day as you wake up and the sun rises again, you are one day closer to heaven if you were in Christ? You are one day closer to the second coming of the Lord when he is going to come and make all things right? I have no idea how close we are to that mountain peak, and nobody else does. We don't know. But I know it's there. I know it's there. And I lean into it. And every day that passes, I'm one day closer to it. And I just, you just feel, I just feel like my heart just being drawn to that. Like, come Lord Jesus. Come and make it all right. The hardest part, though, is this. We don't have the tracking number, do we? There's no email to click. There's no heavenly message we can go to and click on it and say how many days are left we don't have the tracking number do we we just have to wait we just have to trust and wait and know that it's on its way and we look back and we remember all the other promises that have been delivered right so you think how do I know that the Lord's going to be faithful to his word how do I know that this promise is going to come true because every other promise that God has made he is fully delivered on you don't need the tracking number you can read about it it's all come true so why, if the Lord has not been faithful up, if he has been faithful up until this point, why is he not going to continue to be faithful? He's always faithful. And we trust and we rest in him. 
And again, I want us to lean into the sense of longing during this time of year because it helps us lean into Jesus. It helps us to lean into that hope of Advent because life under the tyranny of sin is tough, is it not? It's tough. A fallen world sometimes looks like and resembles graveyard fields, doesn't it? We look out and we're like, things are not the way they should be. And all it, it looks like just death and destruction as far as the eye can see. But it's not always going to look that way, is it? No. Because of Christ. Because of this shoot of Jesse, who's going to come back in glory and make all things new. And aren't you glad that this is the promise of Advent? This is true Christmas hope. Hope in a little baby born to a poor family in a throwaway town who is now our king and has promised to return in glory. And we lean into that hope and we say, come Lord Jesus, come. That's the hope of Christmas, is it not? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you again for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, when we were at our lowest point, you sought us out and you dressed us up and you brought us into your family forever. And Lord, we lean into this hope of Christmas, not the packages, not the trees, not the lights, not the food, not the movies. All of that stuff is great, but it's not ultimate. Help us to lean into your kingdom. Help us to long for that day when you will return in glory. And we are grateful as we consider the manger, that the manger led to the cross and the cross led to the crown. And Lord, you are king and you rule forever and help us to trust you and rest in you and look with great expectation to the day when you will return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.